Welcome to the Thriving Artist Podcast, an educational feature of the Clark Hewlings Fund for Visual Artists. The Clark Hewlings Fund exists to provide business training and entrepreneurial learning to visual artists, to turn working artists into thriving artists. I'm Daniel Degree, your host. The art market is changing, but you can conquer it. The Clark Hewlings Fund is hosting its next art business conference February 1st through 2nd in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. This life-changing conference includes intensive, multi-session incubator training designed to optimize the careers of working artists. As an artist at this event, you'll blueprint your career with a plan to accelerate it, update your sales strategy and your brand story, and begin building a powerful network to extend and amplify your goals. So visit clarkhealingsfund.org Florida to buy your ticket. That's clarkhealingsfund.org Florida. Ticket prices are best for those who register early, and I will personally see you in Fort Lauderdale on February 1st and 2nd, so join us there. It'll be a great time of year to be someplace warm. Now, our guest today is Rachel Berg. Rachel is the Director of Curation at Museum Editions and Art Advisory. Museum Editions has placed art in hotels, including the Rittenhouse in Philadelphia, the Ritz-Carlton in Boston, and Hotel Kabuki in San Francisco. Rachel is also president of their in-house atelier, Live Artfully. Rachel has a visual arts degree from Princeton and a master's in art and art education from Columbia. She's an artist herself, and she's based in New York City. Welcome to the show, Rachel. Hi. Thank you for having me. It's great to have you here. I want to ask you as a first question, Rachel, just how did you become an art advisor? Well, yes. So when I, I've actually been an art advisor since I kind of entered into my adult career life after college. Honestly, my thesis advisor had a friend who had an art advising firm here in New York and she connected me and kind of I mean as it, like the rest is history I guess is one way you can say it so we we just really worked well together and as I developed professionally the art advisory was just always something there that was just such an amazing tool as a young artist to kind of help navigate the way and I kind of I guess had had a little bit of a talent for business that I didn't wasn't necessarily aspiring to when I was a student and so I kept at it and has been a part of my professional life ever ever since well now give us a quick sketch of what you do exactly at museum editions and live artfully the atelier and how the two parts of the organization actually work together Oh, absolutely. So Museum Editions uh, works with architects and designers to place artwork in their projects. We do a lot of business within the hospitality industry, as well as in other commercial spaces, as well as corporate spaces. You know, the designers will come to us and we are active liaison to facilitate the relationship between the artists and the, the design goals that the architects and designers have. So that is the kind of the umbrella under which Live Artfully as an atelier really was born because there was a need, you know, we have all of these artists and a, just a growing roster of people that we work with and artists that we have have completed past projects with and artists that we're resourcing and finding new all the time. And um, there were many opportunities that we were finding that were more custom opportunities. You know, opportunities, when I say custom, that's kind of like the architecture speak, but the, these spoke opportunities where the designer has a vision, but they just have the, the idea. And so what I really do with Live Artfully is help to find the artist who can help to cultivate that idea and then create it more as a commission. Museum Editions uh, does deal with commissions, but it's more, that's more kind of straightforward in the sense that, oh, you did this artwork or this style of work and we want another piece that's kind of like that. What Live Artfully does is shows the capabilities of the artist and the artwork, and then they really get to work together with the designer to create something that is kind of unique and specific for that particular project. So does your background as a visual artist inform in some way the way that you work as an art advisor? Oh, absolutely. I think that that has been the biggest key to success as an art advisor in so many ways. Because in particular, I, I think that when you're an artist, you have an understanding of materials, processes, and also the kind of understanding of, of what the, the conceptual value of the work that you're creating and as art consultants, one of the reasons that I have, that I've thrived personally as an artist in the company, but, but also why the company has really 
been able to maintain such a solid reputation within our industry is because the relationship that we have with artists, we really are there in, in a lot of ways to protect the integrity of the work itself. And to kind of really be there as that acting voice for the artist. So it really helps to be an artist myself because, you know, when I hear what the designers say, and then, you know, it's not just the designers you're working with. You know, if you're working with a hotel, then you have the owner of the hotel. You have the people who are purchasing the hotel, the other vendors associated that you might be working with to execute the production of something. And in all of that, sometimes the artist's voice can get lost or overlooked. So, you know, companies like mine and certainly museum editions, really what you have to, to look for when you're working with art consultants is, is a culture that is really there to, in, in essence, protect the artist um, as well and really make sure that the artwork has its integrity intact. Um, when it gets to its, its end, because we're not going to falter when it comes to the integrity of the work itself, if that makes sense. <laughs> so, Rachel, okay, walk us through how a piece of art ends up in a hotel, a restaurant, or a corporate office. How does that happen? So, when we um, are working, initially working with our clients, they give us kind of a design board, you know, there's a vision that they have for the space. Then what we'll do is we take that information and our team uses its resources and we kind of have this period of time where we're looking for for artists that or ideas where it's a it's a conceptual time. And within that time, that's when we're really resourcing new artists or going into our archives for artists that we've worked with already. And then what we'll do is submit proposals where we call them packages. And we, we put together these kind of visual, usually digital presentations that will show a representation of artists that we know about, that we work with in the past, or, you know, that we are just now finding and are excited to show. From that, it, it's kind of all conceptual, you know, at the beginning. But then very quickly, once we submit that, and then the designers and architects come back to us with their input, and we kind of have this little back and forth. And then at a certain point, I will start making it real <laughs> and start contacting artists and, and starting to let them know, hi, you know, if I haven't met you before, and I saw you on, on Instagram, for example, you know, I will kind of reach out, introduce myself, have a phone conversation, um, certainly, you know, some sort of email that details and directs the artist to, to our site. And from there, you know, it kind of unrolls. We have a process then of once things are kind of more established, then we will go ahead and, and create a mock-up of what the piece is. You know, a lot of times, in particular, if we're working with a hotel, there would be multiples because we would be putting artwork in guest rooms. And so we kind of outline the necessary parameters and scope of the project for each artist. You know, if it means they're doing multiple um, images, then becomes licensing agreements. And we talk about these things and they're all still kind of in the abstract until we have a prototype and then we make a model room and then from that point it either gets approved or it doesn't fly and so there is kind of a, a period of time there where we're working with an artist and I always have to explain this that this timeline you know is about eight weeks even just that and then after that there is a big lapse before we have the purchase and, and everybody signs off on it. Because when you're dealing with a hotel, you are not only dealing with the designers, as I have mentioned before, but you're dealing with all of these different layers of kind of, I guess, bureaucracy that it needs to go through in order for this approval process. So it's very different, I think, than many other ways or, or just one-off kind of uh, projects. You know, then once once it's ordered, then we're in production and, and we're kind of a go. We're At that point, we're done because we did all of the work in, in the initial review process. But you got to wait a while for it um, as an artist. And I think that's that's sometimes a hard thing for me to explain to people or a hard thing for people to understand when I explain it. 
So that was going to be my next question is what, who besides the art advisors involved in the process, but I, but I heard you cover it, sort of architects and the designers, the you know, other people involved in the, the structure of the, the corporation. So I want to go ahead and move on to our next segment of the show where I'm going to ask you about, essentially from an artist's perspective, how one works with art advisors. So uh, let's start with this. Do you commission work only through your in-house atelier or also from other artists independently, or do they all somehow come under the Live Artfully umbrella? No, they don't all come under the Live Artfully umbrella. That is really more of a, I think I like to think of, of Live Artfully as a kind of marriage between the fine art and the design world, because that is really where we have started to build relationships with people and we're and, and with, with designers. And then we use our art and design skills to kind of like, fabricate something that is an art piece, but it's more of a collaborative process and not specifically a person's own work in the sense that it's their own particular style. You know, there's a kind of collaborative process there, which is very different than what Museum Editions has historically done and continues to do, which is if there is an artist who is working and who we show and we stand behind and we say everything that you are as an artist really marries perfectly with this client, then that is its own relationship. You know, I think Live Artfully was really born out of the ability that we had with our skill set and with our internal team to offer um, more to our clients. And it starts with our internal team. We do include other artists frequently, but it's like a project by project base and it's always a different kind of structure. So museum editions work whichever way the art artist and the art works because it's our incentive to make a beautiful space. It's our incentive to help the designers to fulfill their vision. So, you know, that budget piece, that's always just at the forefront of our conversations with the artists. You know, like, this is what we have. This is the opportunity. They either will want the opportunity or for whatever reason won't. How would someone who intentionally wants to become uh, one of your in-house or atelier artists, how would they go about that process? Or, or if they wanted to just work with you as an art advisor, how would they go about that? So we have a couple different ways. We have a submission process on our website. You can submit your artwork directly through there because our team is constantly resourcing. What we typically do is we get the submissions and you know we'll respond to the artist and say, thank you, thank you so much. And I like to, as curator, what I like to do is go through and kind of give that artist an idea of which pieces in what they have submitted would in my opinion, and in my team's opinion, have the most success with our clientele. And then once that happens, you know, I kind of say, you're in our archive. We have a, a wonderful inventory system that we use to help us archive our artwork that, that is submitted to us. And that's how you kind of get into those design proposals that I, that I mentioned earlier, you know, where we're just kind of showing artwork where there's no, there's no commitment and we're kind of just showing ideas. So that's one thing that's just very immediate and easy. Um, and in terms of the atelier, I mean, it's a very project by project process. And I, and it actually is the same way. It, it's the same kind of chain of command there. If there's a project that makes sense for you as an artist, our team is aware of the work that you're capable of and the work that you have done in the past and will reach out if it seems to make sense for a project. Okay. So where do you go to find out about new artists? I mean, are you, you mentioned Instagram, but I imagine that there's more than just Instagram that you're, you're scouting. Oh, yes. It's so funny. In, in the office, sometimes you know, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to someone and they'll look up from their computer and they have this look in their eye and I say, oh, have you just gone down the rabbit hole? <laughs> they're like, yes, because, you know, there's just such a wealth of information out there, even if you're sitting at your desk. You know, you can just start doing these Google searches or whatever search engine you're using. You know, there are, for example, certain schools that we go to and look at the MFA program. Like if, if there are some universities and colleges that have really amazing websites for their graduate students. So we'll look at those. You know, we will go to a gallery and 
start, you know, and look at the artists. Sometimes artists on their website have links to other artists because there's so many different styles and different genres and different, just different things happening, scenes, you know, and we'll kind of use whatever resources that we have to kind of break into that scene and then go down the rabbit hole and, and really start reaching out, even just friends within artists that we work with that, you know, are just, we've worked with them so long that they're friends and we will say, Hey, you know, this is what we're kind of looking for. Do you know anybody? And, and kind of that word of mouth even um, is a way to, to do it. So how do bespoke commissions happen when you need to send out um, to have work created, obviously custom for a given job? Is it always bespoke or am I wrong that sometimes you're placing existing art from an artist portfolio uh, in a particular corporate setting? Okay, so existing, um, existing work is always, you know, is always actually kind of our first choice because it's there, needs to find a home. Bespoke happens when all the stars don't line up. You know, maybe it's the wrong size, maybe it's the wrong price, maybe it's the wrong color, maybe it's the wrong material, or is it durable enough, you know, something like that. So really bespoke comes from the need for just a specific piece in the industry. You know, the architects, they say, you know, designing something to specification. And I think that that, that design piece is how that bespoke work really comes comes alive. But honestly, I consider Live Artfully as a service and as an offering to our clientele. That's just an additional way. You know, it was about five years ago I started realizing that this was this was a really excellent avenue to give our artists more opportunity. But the first and foremost, we are looking for the pieces that already exist to find a home. Oh, that makes sense. So, um, you know, it's kind of a thing that there are artists who are looking to work with art advisors um, because they see it as a, a means of amplifying their own brand and also of obviously increasing sales. So we talked about you looking in different places and, you know, networking and being aware of people and uh, referrals and all of that and people applying on the website. But other than simply being an artist and being out there, what are some of the best practices for artists who want to be considered by an art advisor? I mean, are there particular things that you look for in an artist's marketing materials or something else that um, artists should be doing that would make them more interesting to an art advisor? Oh, I'm so happy that you asked this question. It is so simple. What we are looking for is good quality images that we can pass on and a solid understanding based on the description of what the process is, what the, what the materials are, and what the sizing is. It's really that simple. So in terms of what information that we can use, there are other things. So that's for the originals. I think that what makes it more direct if we're working with artists who are interested in having their work reproduced for an addition for a property or something is also maybe an understanding of if they have a good document of the, the piece, like if they have a good scan, which, it, which goes hand in hand with good imagery so that we can share it. And also an understanding of if they're comfortable with that piece being reproduced as a G-Clay edition, which we're completely fine with if it isn't fine. You know, we just need to know if this is something that can be considered for reproduction. And that's really it. And a little bio, but that, you know, uh, um, with many of our clients, it's, it's really about the piece itself and how the piece is going to enhance the experience in the space. Well, that makes sense. And uh, is there some aspect of business sense or savvy or just the ability to work on a project without sort of being a diva or flipping out that because <laughs> actors run into this right <laughs> if you want to get an actor and you want to cast that actor in your movie you have to look at things like what's their track record uh, have did they flip out on the last two directors does that ever or or demand green jelly beans in their room at all times or go home otherwise you know d d do you have a, a sort of professionalism um, a nose for that or or are there earmarks of that you look for Yes. Well, there are some artists who, it's so funny, we say, we say they're workable. And that's like a really positive thing around the office when someone you know, says, hey, I was looking at, you know, this artist's work. Are they workable? <laughs> and, I, and I say, I either say, yeah, or like, oh, well, yeah, except 
and they're, they all every I think that when the big thing for us is when we're working with an artist, you kind of, you know, if the artist is defining their limitations and they have many, then that makes them less workable. That, that's not saying that, you know, I trust me, we have the biggest integrity for, you know, the artist. It's the artist say, you know, we don't do anything unless the artist is completely comfortable with the way that their work is ultimately going to be presented. Um, and that is always first and foremost. Um, and there definitely are some divas out there. <laughs> so I guess, yes, if you really are work interested in working, especially with hospitality, you're going to have to be comfortable with the fact that they might want to put it in a white frame, even though you want it in a gold frame. Like that's just something you'll have to be okay with, you know, but for the most part, everybody's really workable. Um, and ask me that question 15 years ago, it would have been extremely different because the world has just changed a lot. And I think people are a lot more open to variety and especially in reproduction. Oh, well, that uh, that makes me want to, I had another question I want to ask you and I want to put a button on it for a second because that makes me want to ask you this question. All right. So we'll come back to it. We, we talked a little bit about one of the criteria is that you have um, very clear, good photos of your work, clear understanding of the sizes, process materials, et cetera, that, that your portfolio um, is aligned with the kind of professional life you want to have. Secondly, you've talked about workability, which is almost a synonym for flexibility. And I want to ask you about a possible third criteria. But first, you said it's changed, that 13 years ago, it's different. What do you mean exactly? What exactly has changed? Specifically, uh, the artist's understanding of the reproduction, the way that licensing agreements, you know, I would have had conversations with artists 15 years ago, and they just couldn't wrap their brain around the idea. You know, there were definitely artists 15 years ago who could, but it would it would be a whole conversation that you would just really have to explain how how it's getting done. And actually, I should probably explain that just really quickly when we are working out licensing um, agreements for a project specific we are given a budget that's usually like not a movable budget at all Um, and we are completely transparent with what that budget is and it's a budget per room so we'll have to offer an, an agreement that's kind of based on like well each piece is you know going to be x amount and I, I won't even say a number because it's it, or a percentage because it's never the same because, you know, all of these different clients have very different price points. So that conversation was very lengthy years ago, whereas I think now it's just kind of part of the standard. You know, if an artist hasn't done it themselves, they know somebody who's done it. So there are a little bit, there's a little bit of that understanding within the industry. That's what I mean has changed. I think really artists were, were really very protective of their image 15 years ago, whereas now everyone's trying to get their image out. You will definitely want it to be available in the hotel when people are Instagramming and they're in front of your artwork and they can tag you and all of those things. So that big shift has really made more artists excited to work with us. And I think that's a really excellent thing because this industry is a excellent way to continue selling your work. Hotels change their artwork every seven years at minimum. So they're always moving. It's a booming industry. It's going to keep going. And they're always interested in cutting edge work. And so, and artists are always producing new work. So it's a good niche. I suspect that the rise of, of digital and digitization in general, the, the proliferation of it also probably contributes a little bit to a different comfort level with reproductions. And maybe also the Amazon effect has had some, some effect on our attitudes about distributing things and the ability of ordinary people to, I mean, 15 years ago, it was very hard for an individual person to just work out of their home and, and, um, and sell something like they can on Etsy now. Uh, but you know, we're in a new environment where the word is out. So, so I suspect there's a little bit of a reduction of discomfort with the original of something. But let me ask you, I want to go back to the criteria um, for working with an art designer, because everybody sort of that wants to break into that, they're like, what do I do? And so 
you, you've nailed the issue of you know the art itself and how it's presented the portfolio you've nailed the issue of workability or flexibility what about joint problem solving can you kind of tell me about a situation where you've had to collaborate um, with artists to, to problem solve on a design project and I know that this wouldn't be something you might be able to see into before you reached out to an artist and started to work with them but I suspect that the ability to roll with the punches and solve problems collaboratively once you are working with an artist is something that is high value to you and that if I were a, a working artist wanting to break into this industry, I, I might want to prepare myself for, or, or is that not accurate? Um, it's definitely accurate. It's a little difficult for me to come up with an example, but I know I have one. Okay, here's, here's a good example. We just finished a project, um, really successful project. I mean, we're, we're very proud of it. The artwork is beautiful. The James Nomad here in New York. And it's the second James property in New York City. And it was really interesting because what they wanted to do was have multiple, as many artists as they could within the guest room program, but still have a very typical guest room budget, which, which I will just say to, to all artists out there, it's, it's not very much when you're talking about a single piece. You know, so we're always really, really thoughtful and uh, of that budget and the production demands and all of that. We collaborated with six different artists, and um, and in that really had to had to kind of reach outside of some people's comfort zones with not just the reproduction that's kind of kind of easy, but we were doing um, dimensional pieces. We had a piece created specifically um, with one of our artists and then it just like in production, because it was a sculpture, the armature, we couldn't get it in and we were reproducing a hundred of them. And we just, in those prototypes, they just weren't strong enough. It just wasn't durable enough for the, the hotel use. And, you know, that was a really great opportunity. The artist, you know, and I hesitated. I was like, oh, gosh, this is so much work. But she really helped us figure that out, you know, changed her piece a little bit so that we could we could tweak it, you know, and, and so that we could make it happen. Because if we weren't going to solve that problem, it wasn't going to happen. And so that's a really, I think, a, a recent example of, of when that collaboration and the work that the artist does really saves the work. You know, now it's something that she's very proud of. We're very proud of, even though it's a different piece. That kind of joint problem solving kind of goes with the, uh, the fungibility, the, the workability of, of the artist too, the ability to sort of roll with it. Now let's talk about licensing a little bit and then I kind of want to finish this up and, and go to a different segment on uh, and ask you about visualizing the actual experience of doing this. But what type of work is most suited to being licensed? Like, is there a specific aesthetic in hospitality design at this moment in our in time and in our culture? Or what if your particular aesthetic as an artist isn't hot right now? Does that mean you're just done? You're, you're not going to work with... Uh, an art advisor, at least not in the hospitality industry, or, or what are your thoughts about this? Well, the good news is I've been doing this long enough to really say with confidence that even if you're not hot right now, you will be soon because the, you know, the industry is, especially the boutique design industry, it's very driven by trends. There's also, you know, niches, you know, certain consultancies kind of specialize in different things. And so that's going to be something that as an artist, you're going to really want to do your research on um, and target your approach. When you look at the projects that we do, for example, on our website, you're going to get a lot of information about the kind of artwork that fits with our clients and, and a higher kind of, I guess, rate of selling that, that particular kind of work. Not to say that that is the only thing I do want to be clear about that, but that there is kind of a feeling that you get with the artists that we represent in our past projects because those are kind of already done. Now, that being said, there's always new and interesting directions that the, that the designers are showing us. But you, I think that if you want to kind of educate yourself as an artist and you're kind of looking for this perspective, you're, you, you have to do that, that kind of research to see what you're going to fit. You can kind of get that gist on your own, but it, it's more about palette. I mean, honestly, when things are trending, it's not even necessarily how the work itself is. It's about kind of, is it fitting with the vibe of the culture at large at the time? I mean, you can, as an artist, I think, limit them to like, it's, it's a style, you know, in traditional hotels, 
it looks like this in contemporary hotels and boutique hotels. And within that, as you start kind of looking at that, if you are looking for that as an artist and you research that, I think that there's going to be a lot of visual information there that will help you more than any consultant kind of saying, well, we like figures because it's a little more elusive than that to be on the pulse, you know, and that's part of what consultants do. And that's, that's part of what we, we are for artists. That's why it's nice, nice to work with, with companies like our, like ours. Well, so let me, uh, let me ask you sort of a theoretical, you know, art philosophy question. So fine art, yeah, we talk about designer, 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 and then fine art and design, though, are often thought of as being different categories. But it, it seems as if the work that you do as an art advisor often blends those and sort of removes the distinction because you're bringing in fine art for a particular design application. And at the same time, I imagine not all of the art that you bring in is what we would classically define as, as fine art. So where do you fall on that sort of dis- set of distinctions between fine art and design? Is it myth? Is it there? Does it matter? And if so, how does it matter? You know, how should I think about that as, as a working artist wanting to, to break into this? You know, I think it's definitely there. I think it's all about perspective because, you know, you're looking at your market. You know, if you're an artist and you're trying to sell, you're still kind of gathering information about the market in the sense of who can potentially buy this work. So in that, you know, if you just tilt your perspective and you are from the more fine art kind of gallery market, you know, your perspective, for example, is more about investment. Your clients are more thinking about investment. If you kind of tilt that perspective and think about it in the design world, you know, you're thinking about aesthetic and design. And so it's just that you can stand there kind of straddling and tilt that perspective. And really what it comes down to, I think, is thoughtfulness. And I think for me personally, as an artist, because I have toiled with this, you know, over time um, with this very question, it's the idea of thoughtfulness. If it is thoughtful, it is fine art, even if it doesn't have these kind of criteria of what one might define the fine art. For our clients and for what we're doing, the level of thoughtfulness is there. And again, integrity is there to, to the experience or to the artwork or, or to the space. So it's really elevated no matter what you call it. So, all right, I want to move on to um, visualizing the experience a little bit because uh, I also want to ask you about the financial side of it and the intellectual property side of it a little bit today. But but let's dig into just sort of an inside look for a, a second. So my understanding is that you, you do original one-offs for corporate settings, uh, place those, as well as reproduction editions for either essentially franchises or multiple location venues, or even just when the original wouldn't be the appropriate solution for that particular venue or, or design. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. But you also handle the actual producing of the reproduction of the art rather than sort of the artist being on their own to go make the G clays or the casts or whatever. That's something that your company manages for them? Yes, yes. We do that for two reasons. One, so that we can really keep control of the quality and make sure that it's the caliber. Our reputation has been built on the high quality and the high standard of actual print production that we do. And we have multiple, you know, multiple printers that we work with all over the country, actually, um, in that. And the second reason is for cost. Because we have these relationships, we ultimately end up doing such high volume with our printers that we are able to keep the budget low on the production so that there is more for the artist. So when we're talking about sculpture or other three-dimensional art, uh, which I assume is included, it's, it's not always painting. In that case, what are the mechanics or the logistics of how that work gets reproduced or installed? I'm assuming you oversee that that part of it too. The You go from the reproduction to the actual logistics of of getting the thing there and making sure it's set up properly and and attached and so on, or, or is or is that not the case? 
Oh, it is the case. Sometimes the owner or the, the property themselves will have like have a really solid team and understanding of how to do that. But for the most part, yeah, we, we also coordinate those installations. We have a very kind of standard, we've standardized the way that artwork kind of gets installed. Um, we use very specific hardware that, that keeps the pieces safe for that kind of location. And we handle, yeah, all of those logistics because it's, you know, it's not only a service to the artwork itself and the safety of the artwork itself, but it's, it's something that is such a niche that we know how to do, know how to do it well. Our clients are happy to have us, have us handle that. And it also gives us the safety and security that we can tell the artist everything is going smoothly and, it's, and we, we got it. Well, all right. So let's talk about the part everybody loves. I, I feel like if I were one of those shock jock radio hosts, this is the part where I'd hit the the red button and uh, go, time for the money, you know, and there'd be bells and whistles. <laughs> and so, so let's talk about the money for a second, uh, because uh, I think artists are, are, are thinking about this. How do artists get paid on a hospitality licensing project? I mean, you know, educate the layman. Is it royalties or... or you know, is it a check once a month or once a quarter or one time and then maybe a few pennies after five years? How does it work? Yeah, it's it's usually a one time, very straightforward. There's a contract agreement that outlines the piece that's going that that we're talking about and it outlines the size it's it's going to be reproduced and how many are going to be in the edition, as well as the material, also other information like if it's going to get cropped at all or if if the artist is changing the color or editing the file or giving us the scan, you know, all of those details get worked out. Then it's, if the project is a go and we have a green light, then we'll do a deposit, make sure everything's cool, get it out there. And then at the completion of the project, it's a balance and that's it. You know, if we ever reproduce it again, it's another negotiation. So everything is on a project by project basis and not all our consultancies are like ours. So I do actually personally caution the idea of an open edition unless you have those details really worked out in terms of how many (laughs) they can sell because we always are just, it's project by project and that the licensing fee is always based upon our budget number. Well, so let me ask a, a clarifying point, what, what you mean. So my understanding is you're saying that it's, it's project-based. It's not like for every month your piece is hanging in the hotel, you get you know, this amount of money. So it's when the project is done, essentially you, you get the balance of your check. But you just said that you caution against, forget what you said, an open something, an open... An open edition. An open edition where um, they can make as many of these and distribute as many of these uh, to other properties as they wish. Is that because you're concerned that that that's somehow, that it's not compensated properly? Or do you mean that actually uh, distributing too many of those waters down the the value of the work or somehow the reputation of the artist? What is your concern? You know, I think it's, it, it's both. Um, I think that it's also just having something somewhere that you don't know it's there. Just having that cost of control as an artist is just a really important thing. And, and also that, that some, I have seen people get taken advantage of. I don't want to name names at all and I won't, but that I've seen just people have come to me and, and, and just said, I can't believe this happened to me, but look, look what I found in this store. And I think, Oh my goodness, that's crazy. And that's the kind of thing that might be able to happen if you're not really closely. I think at this point, because you know we talked earlier about how change and how people are more comfortable, but I also do caution, like very real, realistically, that you know you can be comfortable, but you can still have limitations. And I guess that's that's all I, I really mean is that don't allow yourself to just say, yeah, you can. You know what? I'm excited to work with you. You just go ahead. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. Just buy. It's a one-time thing. Like. And then it's kind of open, you know, say, give yourself limitations, say up to 500 print, this is whatever, you know, X price, or, you know, negotiate that and just kind of be aware of your terms when you're working with artists. There's not so many terms to go over that it's that complicated to set a limit. I, I'm, I'm glad you're bringing this up because the intellectual property side of it is something I want to talk to you about right after uh, sort of tidying up the money part. But uh, it's something near and dear to our heart because we do see very often at the Clark Ealings Fund 
artists initially, at least before they have the conversation with us, sort of giving away all their rights in perpetuity in all formats uh, for all the world distribution to a given work for a fairly nominal price. It's like really all reproductions in all nations of any kind forever. And they give you, they give you what, $500, you know, like, come on. <laughs> and so you've got to look at your contracts. You've got to look at what rights you're assigning. And I know this because my art form is literary and I ran a literary magazine for some years, quite some years. And um, we had to specify that we're buying, you know, first world electronic publication rights. You can still sell first rights to a digital publication, but they won't be digital publication rights uh, or you can sell it to a print publication. And you can reprint without asking us uh, as long as you give us credit. You know, those are kind of implied in the rights you're assigning. But you can never again go, oh, I found a magazine two years later and I want to offer them first electronic rights. But we were first. You sold the rights. And, and so from the artist standpoint, it's, it's really imperative to read what you're assigning for the fee. Uh, and you find artists not even owning the rights to reproduce their own work later because they've assigned those rights to somebody else for a one-time fee. And you're not allowed to, to feature your own work in a portfolio now, you know, which is kind of a mistake. No, I was going to say, there's a, there's actually, in, in my experience, there is no need to have the rights. From, from my perspective as a consultant, there's no need for me to have the rights at all. <laughs> like, you know, we're, we're offering the service of consultation. We're not necessarily, you know, that that shouldn't be the objective to say, hey, I'm, I'm kind of hoarding these rights so that so that I can sell more and the artist you know, and I have control over it. So just use caution, artists. <laughs> You're sort of facilitating uh, the arrangement rather than uh, purchasing the rights for your own use. So, yeah. so that um, right away might be a red flag if, if in fact the, the contract is assigning rights that you don't think need to be a part of it. Right. Well, let me ask you uh, this about the money. So, uh, And then I do want to ask you about the intellectual property side. So a couple of questions. One, is it ever a life-changing amount of income from the artist? I mean, if I become an artist that begins working with an art advisor, can I sort of relax and rest on that for a while? Is this a, a, big, a big potential source of income? Or is it kind of a slog and, and more of a supplemental source of income? You know, both. Um, it's kind of like winning the lottery. I have seen some projects that have, you know, put down payments on studios that is always few and far between but it happens it certainly happens and it's certainly out there but for the most part I mean I think that for lack of a better category our, our best-selling artists are supplementing some other endeavors with their relationship with us what we are is kind of repeat customers if that makes sense like we can kind of if we establish a relationship if, we, if it's a really good fit and if a project is over with us and and then the artist continues to to keep us abreast of what they're what they're doing and what they're into. You know, our team is always kind of keeping track of that. So it becomes a more, hey, let me check in with museum editions because I need a little, you know, and that way, you know, it works it's it's great for us because we're like, oh thank you. You got we got some new stuff and this client liked it last time. So we'll we'll show the client. Cause that's, you know, you know, we have a lot of the same clientele. And so that's that's a really nice piece. It's kind of, a, there's a stability offered, but it's, it, for most cases, I think it's more of a supplemental income, but there are those jobs. There really are. Okay. So one more sort of money question uh, is the advantage for artists in collaborating with art advisors. Is it primarily economic um, such as, you know, a source of immediate income or is it more promotional? If you're thinking of your career and does this fit into your career, more about name recognition, getting your work noticed, uh, or is it both? You know, I think it, it can be both. This, again, is one of those questions that years ago might have not been the case. But now in a time when, you know, I've sat in meetings in the last couple of years when, you know, the owner of the, the hotel is saying to me, I want something, I want something Instagrammable. You know, and I, I've mentioned Instagram a bunch of times, but that there is this kind of understanding now that there is a social media piece to the story for the brand of the hotel. And actually, even in corporate um, cases now, we are seeing more and more of a story. You know, the, the, the selection committee in the case of corporate jobs and in the case of, of hospitality is a design job, but they're consulting with their branding. They're making sure that the artwork is fitting with the story of who they are so that they can use that piece 
as a PR piece so that they can use that for publicity. And I think it's definitely now something that artists talk about and we talk about with artists. Also, we put together more book and brochures than we used to do 15 years ago. So I, I, I mean, I think it's both. And because it's such a project by project thing, you can never really define what it's going to be for what artist. You know, is this going to be a really a big payout or are you just going to get a lot of eyes on your work? Because I think that the properties or the corporations, but ultimately the spaces, the clients that are buying this work, they want it to work that way as well. You know, they want that artwork and that artist to have followers or some clout as well in that realm so that there's more generated buzz generated about the property or about the space. Just a point of clarification on this. Uh, so when you're putting, obviously, you know, we're, we're big encouragers of artists to sign their work um, so that the branding is sort of built into the art. But, you know, when we're talking about reproductions and so on and molds and casts and, and all of that, does the branding carry over uh, in every case? Is branding part of it or credit to the artist? I mean, I'm thinking more than just there's a signature on the work and, and that, that I can't read because it looks like my doctor signed it. But below it, you know, I'm imagining in a hotel, is there always some kind of standard of a, a brass uh, plate that says who made this art? Or is branding not really a big part of these commercial spaces for the artist? Increasingly, it is, but it's not the, the brass plate on the wall. It is more embedded in the story of the hotel. So as I said, I just mentioned a brochure or like a book, you know, we'll put together a coffee table book of the the artists that are in the hotel and that's just there and i usually i'll submit all of the website and social media information of the artists that we're including in the, the project as well as the bio as well as you know good kind of printable you know small pr purposes printable uh, version images of the work itself and that's just kind of standard with the submission and the completion of a project you know the artwork's installed and we said submit the the PR piece. It's definitely not the signature on the artwork or the plaque by the artwork. It's more um, embedded in the digital story because that's where most of that is coming from anyway. You know, most of the most of the PR and marketing. It, it's actually a bigger piece than it used to be when we would just have the artist sign it because there's just so much more reach in the digital realm. That makes sense. Uh, I stayed at a hotel in Jackson Hole. And uh, one of the first things they did, uh, we were there for a writing gig to be sort of the food and travel writers uh, for, you know, that visit. And one of the first things they did was sit us down in front of sort of the coffee table book of the artists and point out some of the art and walk us through uh, which artists were featured at the hotel. So it sort of perfectly dovetails with what you're saying. And I, I thought that is a more powerful means of branding, frankly, for the artist than just you walk around and, and there's a signature, there's a plaque underneath the work. It was integrated into the story. And I like that that, you know, obviously from a marketing perspective, um, that dovetails with what we teach artists about telling their own story and, and integrating their own work into their brand narrative. So let me let me go to the final segment of the show, which is about intellectual property, and ask you if issues, we already talked a little bit earlier about some issues, but do any other issues of intellectual property ever come up in the contract negotiation that stand out for you as either points of concern or areas where artists simply need to be aware that, that this is an issue? Um, okay, so we had already talked about um, kind of limiting limiting the edition size, and I think you touched on it, certainly making sure that you are always retaining the rights to the work. If someone is asking you to sign the rights, there's a problem because we are asking permission to use it. It's a permission agreement, um, not a right agreement um, in that sense. And I'm not a lawyer, so I, I might, you know, it might actually be a rights agreement, but it's our right to have permission to use it, not our right to own it. Yeah. You're talking about licensing versus, yeah. you know, yeah. rights assignment. Yeah. Yes, exactly. So that's something just to watch out for. And in addition, making sure that that piece is there and that conversation is there. And if it's in an email or if it's, if, if it's in a contract, 
but that, that you are saying, you know, yeah, this is my scan and that's, that's my image and you have permission to do exactly that with it. And we'll talk later when it's, you know, all of our artists, we have an archive of the high-risk scans and all of that, but we don't touch them unless we are using them again for another project. And then we'll, we'll renegotiate the terms of that project. And on, honestly, like, the budget can be very different when we're renegotiating. Sometimes it's more, sometimes it's like, hey, can we do this for a little bit less? So those are the, the really big things, because especially with the 2D artwork, because it's very easy in, in, with the technology that we have, it's very easy to kind of find your work elsewhere. Well, that brings me uh, to just a couple of questions about that, because you brought it up earlier. You said that, you know, you've, uh, you kind of use the analogy of, well, your art could show up in a store in ho- or in a Hobby Lobby in Utah. You know? <laughs> and, and so I wonder how Wild West is art licensing in the art advisory industry. I mean, I know you're basically saying our contracts are pretty clear, but you've seen some things. How dicey is it? And to the degree that you're spotting mistakes, poor choices, red flags as an industry to work with art advisors? Yeah. You know, that is, I wish I knew the answer to that question because I've often thought, asked that question myself. You know, we'll, we'll participate as a company. We participate in trade shows and, and we're abreast of what our competitors are doing and what, what is going on in the field. We're not obsessed with it. So I'm not always looking over, um, but sometimes I'll see something, you know, and I think, hmm. But I think for the most part, I, I'm going to give give us all the benefit of the doubt. I think for the most part, working with hotels like this, uh, Museum Editions was is a relatively old art consulting company with hotel clientele. You know, um, Museum Editions started doing this kind of before here in New York, and there are, there are certainly other ones um, like in Los Angeles that are as old, but we're one of the ones, the companies that's kind of been around a while. And so... There are definitely way more art consultants now um, that specifically work in hospitality than before. And so, yeah, I wish I knew um, exactly. There's a lot of really good properties I'm seeing and, and, and really great work and not that kind of theft thing, but I have witnessed it. So it's just up to, up to us to kind of keep our eyes and ears open. So there's a little bit of uh, caveat emptor there. Read your contracts, keep your head about your shoulders, use some common sense, get some basic training on, you know, maybe from the Clark Healings Fund, for instance, on, you know, the different types of intellectual property and when you should be assigning what, um, and and understand the difference. It's not always necessary to give your, you know, all your rights away. For, fortunately, as Elizabeth Hewlings likes to point out, you know, there were laws enacted, and I think her father may have played a role in, in, in part, you know, encouraging the culture around the rights of artists that that led to some of this. But there were there have been laws enacted to try to help artists and protect them from giving away uh, all the rights to their art. But they don't. Pre- they don't particularly protect you away from explicitly assigning, you know, too much uh, for an unfair price. So, again, just sort of buyer beware. Let me ask you um, one more question about this um, or, or one more topic about this. So you you license your art um, for a commercial venue. And in my understanding, correct me if I'm wrong, you're not just hospitality. We've just consistently used hospitality for this example in the show. Um, but it could just as easily be, you know, a Silicon Valley compound for the production of, you know, the next, the, the Google Pixel phone, you know, or something. It could be Amazon's new headquarters, which we hope they open in New York. I'm, I've got money laid down on it anyway. <laughs> it won't be Jersey. It'll be New York. Yeah. But anyway, uh, so you, you get art placed in those places, but then one of those facilities closes down or they decide to remodel. Uh, what happens to that art? Is the original artist uh, ever actually consulted about, you know, the next step then or, or, or what? Um, unfortunately, no, it just, it kind of just goes to the, the printed art heaven, I suppose. They get destroyed. And the, the truth is though, by the end of the time it takes for any of these spaces to get you know, renovated and now this is the, the next look for the space, you know, there's a certain amount of wear and tear. And it's that that's not all cases. Like I'm specifically talking about kind of the properties that do frequently get renovated. I think 
like an Amazon headquarters or something like that is going to have a little more longevity. And they certainly would never, we, we never do that. Or I've never hear of clients doing that with original work. You know, we've repurposed original work that were sold for one property to another property or, you know, kind of moved the collection around. So that doesn't ever happen with originals, but yeah, they, they kind of are, are done. They have a life. <laughs> they have a life and then it's over. Even with signed reproductions, you know, there's um, some value there. And I, I don't know if you, uh, do you do that? Do you, when you're putting reproductions in a corporate venue, does it matter whether or not, you know, it's a signed reproduction and the artist has to sign all 80 of them or whatever, or, or are they just straight up reproductions? Are they numbered, you know? Yeah, you know, it really depends on the venue and the um, terms of the reproduction. We certainly have a, a reproductions that retain their value, but we certainly also have those that are intended to kind of live their life and then be done after 10 years. Because I know, um, you know, I've got a couple of signed reproductions of Keane's work, and I mean, they're super high quality, you know, they're canvas reproductions and stuff, they're not the posters. And um, it would just devastate me if those things were gone. <laughs> but I love them. I love haunting people with those eyes. But we, you know, often advise people at uh, the Clark Healings Fund, track your work. It's one of our sort of core tenets that artists should uh, catalog and track where they sell their work, where it's sitting right now, and ask to be followed up with, um, keep maintain contact with the art advisor and or with the corporation so that if they do decide to pull this work down or, or remodel it, it doesn't end up in the ether of art heaven, but that you can find out where it's going next and maybe even play a role in that decision. Uh, so much so that we work with a partner called Artwork Archive, which allows you to track every sale you've ever made so that, you know, 20 years from now, when you've got, uh, you're on your 500th sale at any given time, you know where that work likely is sitting. Uh, and you also ideally are tracking when it's sold, resold on the secondary market, et cetera. So it's kind of one of our, our doctrines. And so I had to ask that question. I, I had to dig it because I thought you were going to say that. I figured you were going to say, yeah, sometimes they actually go missing. And I'm like, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> yeah. Well, they go, well, what they do is if they have, they destroy them. I mean, if it's not being used for hotels, like guest room hotels only, um, is the only example that because everything else we retain, like if we're working, you know, and I, as I said, we're repeat, you know, our clients, we have longstanding relationships with our clients as well as we have longstanding relationships with artists. So, so we know where, where our work is and, and we do the same, you know, we keep track of it um, with hotels though. And that's kind of part of the, the, the licensing agreement. I, I mean, it's, it's there when we're discussing the project that Weston is never going to keep your piece forever and there is a time when they clear everything out and your work is part of it. You know, the image of your work is part of it, that, that, that piece. And we ask that they get destroyed um, unless the artist needs them or wants them. But you don't. I, I have yet to have an artist kind of say, oh, I want these back just because they are so worn. You know, it's a hotel room. <laughs> There's a life. If that makes sense. I know it's sad. I'm getting sad. But I'm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, what is it? It's P Pierce Brosnan is out in the desert trying to dig up Cecil B. DeMille's buried Egyptian city from the movie, you know, and, <laughs> and yeah, he won't let it go to California heaven. He he, he needs that. It, actually, I think it may be in the desert in Nevada, but but he's trying to recover this giant city built by Cecil B. DeMille that's essentially some imagined version of, of Egypt. And, and so, yeah, I think there's at some point, the, you know, some of that stuff gets valuable, yeah. you know, but, you know, even if it's just a little thing that Andy Warhol spit on once, you know, <laughs> has some value. Well, I want to ask you a couple of fun questions uh, just to wind down the show. So what projects are on the horizon uh, that you're excited about and maybe allowed to mention? Ooh, so we have a really exciting project that we're working on right now for a corporate client. It's a law office that is a three-story internal staircase, big, beautiful windows and gorgeous modern lines. And we have an artist who is creating a custom piece for that space. And 
I have to say it's just really exciting because of that process of that we had touched on before, the idea of the collaboration, the idea of you're the right person to handle this space and let's do something amazing. And um, I love it when that happens. I also have uh, an exciting project in the sense that in we had kind of touched on it before about reproducing dimensional additions, kind of discovering new ways of fabricating. And I have a project that's really um, in-house and is, is exciting because the artist is working with a new fabricator and, you know, is really kind of stretching the boundaries of uh, 3D printing, as well as like a laser cutting process for wood that's, that's carving and it's all machine. That is very now, uh, because of the technology of the machine, has become very, very commercial and, and available. And available. So those, those two things right now have me, have me really going. Okay, and one more, which is, uh, what's your vision? Where are you hoping that museum editions and Live Artfully will be in, say, you know, the next 10 years? Okay, so I really hope that museum editions and, and Live Artfully are working with more artists. I hope that we're able to broaden our abilities to showcase artists in a digital format, because that is really, really a way that we're able to reach our clients and um, really expand our website, for example, and abilities to, to showcase and curate and get it out there just because it's a specific niche, but it's a growing niche. You know, we have, you have these wonderful, wonderful, um, really comprehensive amazing platforms like Artsy and Sachi and, and even Etsy and, you know, these, these amazing, huge things. And I, I really hope that um, Museum Editions will be able to keep up in the sense that we're making a smaller, more curated version for our clients. And that will help the artists out there know what kind of work we're doing and kind of they can curate what they're doing and, and, and help to edit and send the things that we need because it's really integral to what we do. You know, we have a team and we are always resourcing. We're always doing that. And to be able to present that in a more open way, I think is a really huge goal of ours. And it's difficult when you are a smaller entity, um, when there are these huge entities out there. And we want to be able to partner with that and really make sure that we're able to make those connections for our, for our artists. You've been listening to Rachel Berg on the Thriving Artist Podcast, an educational feature of the Clark Healings Fund for Visual Artists. If you've enjoyed this program, be sure to subscribe to new episodes and review your experience on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you tune in. For more information on Rachel's work, visit museum-editions.com. That's museum-editions.com. For more information on the Clark Healings Fund, visit clarkhealingsfund.org. To sponsor our learning programs with your impactful gift of any size, visit clarkhealingsfund.org. Org slash donate. Thank you for listening and thank you, Rachel. It's been really great having you. Thank you.